For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And welcome, everybody, to Jacksonville's Morning Podcast. My name is Kevin Rafuse, and we're bringing you the best in news from the First Coast and beyond. And if you've been listening to Jacksonville's Morning News at all, really, over the last year and a half, you know about this story, a big one in our area, the sinking of El Faro during Hurricane Joaquin that happened back in October 2015. All 33 people on board that ship were killed in that sinking. And again, a heavily loaded container ship heading from Jacksonville to San Juan. And since then, a lot of hearings and recaps talking about the blame, what was responsible, and how exactly this ship was going into the hurricane to begin with. And with that, I want to bring in our own Stephanie Brown, WOKV's reporter and assistant news director, who really has been following this story since it started all the way back in October of 2015. So, Stephanie, this is the final round of hearings on El Faro as we continue to try to get answers. So, it's important to realize that there's actually two major federal investigations that have been taking place into the sinking. The first, the main one we're focusing on right now is a Coast Guard Marine Board of Investigation. This kind of thing is only convened for some of the most tragic marine disasters, some of the most wide-scale ones. Think uh, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, for example. That was the most recent one before this one convened. So back in February of last year, and then again mid-last year, they had two public hearing sessions where the investigators come together and actually bring witnesses before them to air out questions in the public, talk about their different roles in the owners and operators of this ship, talk about some of the former crew members who may have had experience on board as they start to try to figure out how things worked on the ship, what were maybe some of the problems that they were facing, what the future was going to hold, and and what that ultimately could have mean as they set out on this final voyage. So coming up now, we have the final two-week hearing session, and after that, we're going to then ultimately get a report from this Marine Board of Investigation. They're looking specifically at whether any person or government entity contributed to what happened and trying to figure out how to prevent something like this from happening again. Now, working in close cooperation with the Marine Board of Investigation is also the NTSB. They launched an investigation pretty much from the outset, and they've been doing their own work. But the two do work together because there's a lot of data and information that both benefit from. For example, the NTSB has been present and involved at all of the Marine Board of Investigation's public hearings. So while a lot of their work is done cooperatively, the NTSB will also be issuing its own independent findings, again, to see what kind of an impact this tragedy will make on the industry overall. So since the last hearing with El Faro. One of the big discoveries has been the black box on the ship, the Voyage Data Recorder, obviously giving us a clue and some insight into what was going on in that ship's final moments. So I guess with that new development, you know, what were the biggest takeaways so far from that Voyage Data Recorder? So from the outset, all of the investigators have said that the Voyage Data Recorder, or black box, is 
something that could contain data and information that would be crucial to their investigation. They felt that they could ultimately come to findings without it, but they stressed that it was something that could hold very valuable information. That's why ultimately there were actually three missions to recover this device. Initially, the NTSB was searching for it when they recovered the ship or when they found the ship's wreckage shortly after the sinking. They couldn't locate it, so they then launched a second mission during which they were able to find the black box on the ocean floor, but they couldn't pull it up because of how it was lodged among the wreckage. So that led them to actually set a third mission with specialized equipment in order to recover the device from the ocean floor. And when they did, they started analyzing it. There is more than 26 hours of data that was ultimately captured, and that includes information about the navigation, about the weather factors they were experiencing, as well as audio recordings from the bridge deck itself. So the audio won't ever be released, but the NTSB did put together a transcript. What they say is actually the longest transcript that they've ever put together, and it details about 10 hours of what they believe to be information that's pertinent to what happened. I went through the entire thing. It's more than 500 pages, this transcript, and it gives insight that we hadn't had to this point in the investigation. Uh, One of the most chilling parts, for example, is actually shortly before the recording ends. It shows that the captain was trying to talk one of the crewmen out of the bridge. This crewman had apparently frozen in fear. The recording actually ends with the two of them still believed to be on the bridge. And the NTSB says the ship went down as that recording was winding down. We also learned from the captain's own words that the engine plant on the ship had actually failed. So for Marine Board of Investigation testimony up until this point, we've heard a lot of questions about the boiler specifically on board. An engineer or inspector had determined that there were some components of that boiler that were severely deteriorated, and he had recommended them to get work. And in fact, they were slated for some level of repair in the pending weeks because Alfaro was set to have a dry dock period after what ultimately became the fatal voyage. So until now, we haven't really had a good understanding of what the other engine plant components looked like as the ship went down. But you could hear or rather see through the transcript a captain's conversation with the engineering crew saying that the bo- that the engine plant had been lost and that they were struggling to get it back on largely because of the list that the ship was experiencing. And now with that footage available for the first time, we mentioned a lot of questions in the past round of hearings that now are a little bit more for answers. So I guess with this new information, I kind of want to look ahead to the third hearing. How does this change it and what can we? What new information can we expect to hear this time around? So for this third hearing session, the Coast Guard Marine Board of Investigation is going to be publicly vetting all of this information from the NTSB. Again, as I mentioned earlier, they're cooperative investigations, but the NTSB transcript that was released and 
some other investigative documents that they released, that was done separate from the MBI. So now the Coast Guard investigators are going to be publicly vetting this transcript, some of these factual reports, interviewing company officials again as they try to dissect some of the information. You know, these investigators have a lot of experience, both with the Coast Guard and with the marine industry. So they bring a lot of experience and understanding to the table. But there's some things that, you know, are specific to this ship, specific to how the company operates. So we'll see how they can apply the information that's now been made public to where we're moving forward in the investigation. We're also expecting family will continue to be there. Family of the 33 crew members, many of them uh, were from Jacksonville. So a lot of them have been here throughout the entire course of the hearing session. So we're expecting them to come out and again, try to follow and learn some of this new information as we're learning it as well. So you mentioned family, and, and this is a story, obviously, we mentioned earlier on that this ship went down all the way back in October of 2015. A lot of gut-wrenching testimony. This is something that you specifically have been covering for a long time, really, since the ship went down. So I guess as we enter this third round of testimony, looking back at the grand scheme of things and looking back at everything we've learned so far, you know, what moments have stood out to you as the reporter covering this story? There have been a couple of really emotional moments, and then there have been some moments that you just sit there and you say, is this really how it works? So one of the moments that I'll probably always remember is during the very first hearing session, they played audio from the captain, his final calls to the shore when they started to experience some problems. So you actually heard in the captain's own voice him talking about them being in a marine emergency, that they had lost propulsion, that they had taken on water. And you just watch the family members who are also hearing this and starting to get a clearer picture of what their loved ones were facing. And, you know, they all had their heads bowed and they were fighting back tears. And it was just very emotional. And you see the emotion on the investigators as well, because they really are dedicated to figuring out how to prevent this type of tragedy from happening again. One of the other emotional moments was when we were talking about the search and rescue operations in the early hours after the sinking. We previously reported uh, it, during the initial search operations that the uh, crews were able to locate one of the immersion suits, one of the suits that the crew puts on before they go into the water to try to keep warm, to try to stay afloat. So the Coast Guard search and rescue operations did spot and pull one of those immersion suits up, and they found that there were remains inside of them. But they ultimately decided that they couldn't recover and return those remains because they had a report of another immersion suit that was in the water and it may have actually been waving. So if they decided to recover the remains, they would have had to send their entire plane back to the shore. It would have had to be sanitized. There's a whole procedure. And instead, they had to make the decision to leave the remains behind because there may have been a survivor that they were able to recover. So before before the Marine Board of Investigation actually went into that whole line of questioning, they even told the families what was going to be happening because they knew that it would be difficult for some of the families to hear. I know from my personal conversations with them that a lot of them are grieved that they've never been able to recover any of the bodies and they've never been able to, you know, formally lay them to rest. There have been memorials. There have been even there's a foundation that's been set up and there are families that are still trying to figure out some 
some way to potentially maybe try to survey the wreckage again. Um, but it's definitely a lot of grief. Yeah, really tough. You can't even just imagine, you know, every time, you know, I know, for example, the other big story with MH370 back when that plane went missing, you know, we never really found the bodies, never recovered that. It's tough to hear these families aren't getting closure. But on a different note, so switching gears a little bit, obviously a, a big time tragedy. Anytime anybody really goes down at sea, but 33 people, we want to avoid this again. And, you know, this is, involves the shipping industry really as a whole. So I guess in the aftermath of the Alfaro sinking, what types of changes have we seen in the commercial shipping industry? So part of the interesting part of these investigations is they are long running. Again, two major federal investigations have been going more than a year now. Um, so there are baby steps that are maybe able to be taken on in the interim. I actually asked the chairman of the Marine Board of Investigation after the very first hearing session if he was concerned about some of what he was hearing and the fact that maybe their report wouldn't be issued for some period of time. And they did stress that if there are small immediate changes that can be made, they're already looking at that and trying to implement it. One thing that I've heard uh, colloquially is that, for example, cargo lashing is changing on board. One of the questions um, for this ship specifically was whether the stevedores had been instructed to use storm lashing and in preparation for the heavy weather. And in fact, you saw on the Voyage Data Recorder transcript that the chief mate was concerned about the quality of lashing that they had on the ship. We have learned through Marine Board of Investigation testimony that these stevedores, the people responsible for the cargo lashing, they didn't always go by manuals and guidelines. A lot of times they were driven more by their experience. So that's something that, again, colloquially I've heard that there have already been some changes for. I'd say one of the potentials for one of the biggest impacts on the industry overall is actually in the inspection protocol. It's a little complicated to explain, but Alfaro and many other commercial vessels that are still sailing nowadays are under a special inspection protocol called the Alternate Compliance program. Basically, that allows class societies to do inspections on behalf of the Coast Guard. It's designed to increase efficiency, to help pool resources, because ultimately the class societies are already doing inspections. So as opposed to having to duplicate everything, they're given the ability to kind of act on behalf of the Coast Guard. And while it's something that's been in place for a substantial period of time, we've learned through these hearing sessions that there are substantial holes. The Coast Guard admits that they don't have the oversight that they want to have of the program, that as a result, their training is lacking. They don't have the experienced number of inspectors that they used to to ultimately be training new inspectors and passing down all of their experience. And ultimately, they said they don't have the resources to really make some of the changes that they need to step this program up. So what I'm interested to see is after all that we've heard about some of the potential areas of shortfall in this inspection program, I'd be surprised that if these final reports don't ultimately look at how to make some changes there. You're listening to Jacksonville's Morning Podcast. Kevin Rafuse, I'm in studio with WOKV Stephanie Brown right now. And Stephanie, this third round of hearings will be going on really for the next two weeks. You're going to be in the field covering this, giving us all sorts of in-depth perspective on El Faro. So I guess tell the people who are listening to the podcast, where can they follow your reports and how can they stay up to date on this latest round of hearings? So I'm going to be following every minute of the hearing session from where it's taking place every question question, every answer. And, you know, it's, it's really technical. So it's really important that I'm there for every minute because it just keeps building on what 
we've heard in the past. So I'll be live tweeting. You can follow at S Brown Reports. You can also follow at WOKV News because we'll be actively interacting there as well. Um, and then WOKV.com, I'm going to be pumping out articles frequently because there's only so much that you can say in a tweet or in a report on air. But the articles, I'm spending a lot of time making sure that we're bringing you all of the key testimony. And you can also find there every article that we've written since the initial sinking of the ship. So that's where you'll get all of the context and the history that we haven't, you know, we've just scratched the surface here. So all of the details are at WOKV.com. Seriously, they are broken down. They'll be much easier to understand. If you're a buff, go check that out, WOKV.com. Stay tuned next week for testimony all during Jacksonville's morning news, 5 to 9 every morning right here on News 104.5 WOKV. My name is Kevin Rayfuse. want to thank everybody for listening to this edition of Jacksonville's Morning Podcast. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com.